0: Who am I, Kylie? Who how? What now? Why a fox? Why not a a horse or a beetle or a bald eagle? I'm saying this more as, like, existentialism, you know? Who am I? And how can a fox ever be happy without a, uh, you'll forgive the expression, a chicken in its teeth?
1: I don't know what you're talking about, but it sounds illegal.
0: Here, put this bandit hat on. Maybe you're a medium. Take it off for a minute. Don't wait around the house. And so it begins.
1: Hello! Welcome to the Extra Credits Plus of Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Today is our second Patreon episode and our third Wes Anderson movie we've covered on our show. Uh, I think we covered Asteroid Asteroid City City in a deep, deep, deep dive. Yeah, well we did like
2: multiple episodes on that and then we did a whole draft.
1: Right, a part one and part two. And then we did Moonrise as the first episode on Patreon. And now we are on Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm so
2: excited to talk about this movie.
1: I think this is probably our second favorite movie of his, right? Because we share number one and I think we share number two.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think we talked about that on the draft as well. And then from there, if you haven't gone back and, and listened to the draft, or if you're a new listener, um, it gets a little dicey, yeah, uh, for Shrey And myself in terms There's of some like differences, yeah, we have really different lists, I think. But I think our our top two are definitely locked in terms of Moonrise being our favorite, and then Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think just because it's such a unique mm-hmm. movie, um, an animated movie with a the specific Anderson lens. That's, I just love it, so I can't wait to talk about it more today.
1: Yeah, I might have a hot take later about my West ranking because I think it might have changed up a little oh, bit okay. on revisiting Mr. Fox a few more times uh, this week. But I will say I do love this movie. I think this is in my top five animated movies of all time. I was trying to make that ranking, and that's ridiculous. It's hard enough to make like a favorite Disney movie ranking. Yeah. I was trying to do best <laughs> animated movies of all time, and that's like, kind of impossible but I do think this movie is up there with Toy Story with the Iron Giant and American Tale is one that I love that's really underrated I think that not many kids today probably know about but that's a great film yeah
2: well that's the hard thing with animated movies so uh, for uh, people who have not listened to our Patreon episodes yet uh, we are doing a new kind of format where we're doing awards Mm -hmm. and one of those awards is a hot take and I as my hot take wrote down Wes Anderson's like Fantastic Mr. Fox is my favorite animated movie mm. and immediately deleted it because <laughs> I was like <laughs> it was too hot for me. Um, but I think because animated movies are so difficult in yeah. terms of like themes, like do I do I rank them based on the theme that they're talking about or the lesson that they have? Mm-hmm. Do I rank them on how they look, right? Because there are all these different like types of animation that are really interesting. Um, like I I it was so difficult to rank just animated movies and, and then also yeah. like stop motion, right? Like I was like, okay, maybe this is the best stop motion movie, I think but then there's Marcel. Is, yeah. Oh, you yeah. think it is. Okay. I, think I it love is. Marcel. A lot I think of people love Coraline.
1: Um, a lot of people like del Toro's Pinocchio last mm-hmm. year, but I do think Fantastic Mr. Fox has kind of lived on. We'll get into it. Like, obviously, this was very influential to our generation. It came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we were very young when this came out. And everyone had saw it, like seen it at the same exact time. People went to the movie theater to see it. It was one of those DVDs that were in most of, like, my friends' houses growing up. There weren't many movies at people's houses. But I saw Fantastic of, Mr. Fox? Yeah. It was, like, a big wow. family movie. I,
2: I don't remember that experience for yeah.
1: me. It was, like, one um, of the big- Final DVD runs before Blu-ray really yeah. hit the scene in 2009. That's so um, interesting.
2: Maybe it's also because I didn't have a lot of friends who watched movies, but yeah, um, I so, I think that like people now have have seen it. Like it has become a very very popular cult classic.
1: Yeah, I was gonna bring up. Uh, I already said it, but I wanted to bring it up again. Toy Story as the interesting comp to Fantastic Mr. Fox. I know they're like completely different movies in terms of the animation style, but thematically i think they're fascinating because woody as a character That's is so true is yeah. kind of like a broken masculine patriarch figure yeah. trying to keep this family together <laughs> while also just doing it for himself and he's
2: like threatened by buzz exactly yeah. but buzz
1: <laughs> is like not understanding that he is a threat to woody's like dominance over his family and and buzz is having like an existential crisis and so like the george clooney Mr. Fox character kind of represents the two sides of the coin here of the, of the toy story themes, which I think is interesting. So th- yeah, those as double features, I've I think would be a thought lot of about fun, that,
2: but I think that's true.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay. So if you've listened to the end of our Moonrise Kingdom episode, which was our first Patreon episode, ton of fun.
2: Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. Like I, I wish it would be on the main feed, but that's, you know, yeah. it's the, it's the community. That's why it's so exciting to do Patreon because yeah. we get to dive back into all these like older movies instead of just new releases. Yeah.
1: Explore film history a little bit more, which we're never able to do with new releases or drafts or rankings or guests or and like everything else we do. You anniversary, you know, anniversary episodes. Like specific episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you listen to that Moonrise episode fully, if you're a Patreon listener, you got to listen to the full episode. But if you're just a main feed listener, a non-patron, you got to listen to probably like 25, 30 minutes of that Moonrise episode. And you're probably listening to like 25, 30 minutes of this fantastic Mr. Fox episode Mm -hmm. today. We did talk a little bit about Roald Dahl on the Moonrise episode. In a very funny ending to our Moonrise episode, where Kelsey called him Ronald Doll, <laughs>
2: <laughs> I genuinely thought like that that was how you said his name.
1: <laughs> so I am still I just
2: added the n.
1: I'm not super confident in like saying his name because I was trying to listen to people. I was trying to li- listen to British people say his name. Mm-hmm. Um, he's Welsh, so I was trying to get an understanding from that perspective of how to say rolled. But apparently, it's I said the D was silent on the Moonrise episode and just said Roll Doll. But apparently, it's Rolled doll. Okay. And so that's a very so kind of D quick there. D. Okay. Um, but it doesn't really matter because Roll Doll <laughs> in my prep for this podcast is just like an awful human being <laughs> that yeah. I knew sort of. I, I I I guess I've seen headlines about
2: right. The- yeah. Like I haven't looked into rolled doll, but yeah. I, I knew it was like a, you know, the idea of like a complicated figure Figure or artist right um in terms of like having conversations about current artists yeah it's like what is your relationship to your work and the author yeah but i i never knew uh just, I guess, how bad it was.
1: I didn't have access, I think, to a lot of his novels growing up. Like, I don't remember them being in my home. I do, I did love the adaptations of his stories in movie format. Like, yeah,
2: like Willy Wonka.
1: Sure. Matilda
2: I, was big for me.
1: Okay, so Matilda's one that a lot of people talk about, but the most influential one for me personally was actually James and the Giant Peach. That oh, was, like, sure. a terrifying movie to me as a kid. And yeah. I, and I still, like, I remember certain scenes from that movie for whatever reason that kind of are haunting, but I yeah, haven't it's seen a that very movie. very
2: surreal movie. Like, 15,
1: 20 years years so it's pretty crazy but yeah i did a a good amount of doll prep because we were watching all the shorts that just dropped on netflix Mm -hmm. and also for fantastic mr fox with this being a doll story and i just didn't realize to the like how explicit of a problematic figure he was in his life during like the 80s especially like going from anti-semitic rants to like misogynistic remarks to straight up like othering people as antagonists in his stories that he was like really explicit about in the novels where the movies were trying to get away from that or almost like recontextualize his stories to Mm -hmm. make them more inclusive. Something that Wes Anderson has like made his, you know, his kind of personal project, which is bringing these doll stories to life in film. But I just didn't realize how much of an open, like openly bigoted person he was. Yeah.
2: I didn't know that either.
1: Yeah. So I, I thought I'd start off the pod today, just talking about that just because he's such a complicated figure. Um, and somebody who seemed to be kind of very aware of their, of the criticisms against them as being this bigoted figure, but not seeming to mind that much. There's a fascinating documentary that I, or it's like a short doc, I guess about him and his life where this BBC journalist goes into his home and, And it kind of inspires the whole Henry Sugar short that hopefully we can get into one day Mm -hmm. um, that I recommend people check out. It's like 12 minutes. Maybe I'll throw it in the description of this episode. Yeah, it
2: goes through his office and everything, right?
1: Yeah, it's fascinating because he's such a weird guy um, and he's so specific and has a very large ego and Hmm. he doesn't seem to care about that, but he's very aware of it. So- Very odd, eccentric person, which makes sense to why Wes Anderson is so obsessed with him and his stories. Um, What's interesting, though, is that the Dahl organization, which is, I believe, led by Dahl's family... Okay. who are living today, they control the IP of his novels and they have been over the past decade going in and editing some of the language huh. or caricatures even in in some cases. Knowing that
2: like a Netflix deal is coming. Exactly. Maybe? Okay, and
1: it almost seems like they're kind of virtue signaling this like new liberal lens of these movies or sorry, of these novels in mm-hmm. order for them to... Make money yeah. off of the IP, and also because we have these Wes Anderson deals that are happening with the shorts, and I'm assuming more right. of Wes Anderson and you know Roll Doll collaborations are well, going to happen. Well, I mean, like is
2: coming out, right? That's very
1: true yeah. with Chalamet. So it does seem like they're trying to rebrand, um, and so I'm not really going to give them really any credit today. I think I just wanted to bring that up because Anderson was asked about it, the edits of the novels of okay. Roald Ball's novels recently. I think in Venice, and Anderson was pretty vocal interestingly about how he believes that artists work uh no matter what if they were problematic or not should not be edited and he didn't really explain why he believed that but he just felt Mm -hmm. that these artists and their work no matter how problematic they are in history just should not be touched which i do think is a a conversation for another day when it comes to like the art versus the artist like Mm -hmm. we don't have to get into that today but i just wanted to you know state that about anderson because there is a little bit of a a contradiction there especially from the guy who's making movies to reinterpret yeah. roald dahl's stories in a lighter light if yeah. that makes sense with more inclusive messaging in his movies and what that was actually in the novels because i do think fantastic mr fox as a film tries to uh, get away from the not-so-subtle misogyny in the novel and not-so-subtle, like, fat-shaming or Jewish caricatures of the farmers, for example, in the novel. In the novel, yeah. Yeah, and so he really does, I think, try to get away from that and focus more on, like, this existential crisis of the fox and the kind of like masculinity being like a destructive construct. Like yeah. he's going more into what he's interesting in, interested in through uh, this doll story.
2: Yeah. It seems like Wes Anderson, and we can talk about a little bit about our critiques and what on Wes Anderson. And we, we talked about this like more yeah. in depth on our draft as well. Like the politics of Wes Anderson or maybe like, um, yeah, you know, uh, apathy. Lack of yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lack of, so we, we can talk about that too. But I do think that in terms of, talking about the the kind of source material that Anderson is using to create his text, it is important to know uh, that Raul Dahl is not a, like, figure to look up to. Like, he is a problematic figure who has, is a bigot. I did not know that. Um, yeah. And I was fascinated that I didn't know that because... I know so many of his stories like Matilda and Charlie and the chocolate factory. Yeah. And so, um, but I do think that you're right in terms of like fantastic Mr. Fox as a story made by Wes Anderson in um, and the ways that it differentiates itself from the novel. Um, I view fantastic Mr. Fox as kind of like a satire on, uh, masculinity or misogyny in yeah, a, in a lot of ways. For yeah. Sure. And so, so that is fascinating because that he, he said, said that, cause I didn't know that either. Um, because he is kind of like taking that, um, source material in terms of like maybe the universal ideas of, uh, yeah. a, a children's book and mm-hmm. trying to, uh, make a movie that maybe has like a more current lens and, and edit, uh, Roald Dahl's work.
1: Yeah, I think there's a little bit more of a social awareness to a lot of Wes's interpretation of Dahl's work. And I think in this movie, like I said, there's the masculine exploration. There's an identity crisis. There is this kind of through line of traditionalism versus modernism. Mm -hmm. There's like economic segregation commentary running throughout it. There's a lot more things that Wes is focusing on that it seemed like Dahl at times was less interested in in the novel. So I just wanted to point that out. Important to state that at the top of today's episode that Wes is trying to do something different with this text. Now, should Wes continue making Dahl stories? I would like if he just made his own original stories because some of my favorite Wes movies are original films. Like I would love for Wes to go back to Rushmore era that would be sick. I think we'd all be better for it. Um, and Asteroid City is actually a really good example of him, like, cooking up something cool.
2: Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, you pointed out something really interesting that we'll probably talk about on uh, West episodes in the future, too. But he is really fascinated by writing uh, men who are just obsessive, right? Like, yeah. like, in every single one of his movies, West focuses on, like, Rushmore uh Bottle Rocket fantastic Mr Fox I think Steve Zissou everything even Moonrise Kingdom right with yeah. Sam like uh there are obsessive uh characters at the heart of all of his stories and I think those are really influenced by uh the doll stories but I do agree like I like his stories that are more original
0: mm-hmm.
2: um and kind of I think like Bottle Rocket looking at something that is more of a current, like, satire on suburbia. Suburbia, yeah. Right, and, like, <laughs> Owen Wilson's character. What's his name again?
1: Uh, I'm forgetting. I think uh, something with a D, Digman, right? Dignan, right? Dignan, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: And his, like, <laughs> life uh, wanting, like, petty crime, which is actually super um, related to Fantastic Mr. Fox, which Oh is yeah, funny. Um, but so, so I, I ag- double feature, agree, yeah. though. Like, I like when Wes is um, exploring his own territory uh and and creating like his original stories
1: yeah some listeners might remember this but as soon as west gets away from his original stories and starts going into like 20th century fiction we on our draft i think it was around grand budapest probably Mm -hmm. about how we both said we were in on that movie i think you more than me but i think we both didn't have it in our top three maybe and I was saying that I've been pretty skeptical of like his kind of convenient moralist tales, like post Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh-huh. or at least Fantastic Mr. Fox and on. So I think today is like an interesting movie to zoom out and look at the Wes Anderson filmography chronologically, because I think Mr. Fox is fascinating because he kind of takes a left turn like Wes does and gets away from contemporary responsibilities and storytelling. I think something happened in 2007, 2008 because Wes was like, criticized by popular outlets in using life in India as like an aesthetic in Darjeeling Limited, Mm -hmm. which came out only a few years before Mr. Fox. No matter how well-intended or purposeful that point Wes was trying to make about White liberal people in India trying to find themselves, or Mm -hmm. across Europe, wherever they are. Yeah, it
2: was a satirical story. Yeah,
1: but it just it wasn't super successful. Sure, it was successful. Maybe enough to West, but successful exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's not a timeless film at all. And so even though Fantastic Mr. Fox was like a long-planned project, and it's highly unlikely that that film is a response to that Darjeeling criticism. I just think it is interesting to kind of zoom out and look at how much of a benefit of the doubt we give West today in 2023, when he has social or political ideas in films like asteroid city recently Mm -hmm. that we loved. And I do think are successful, but I do think it's, again, it's interesting. Like for example, Darjeeling comes out. Okay. in like 2007, and I don't think it's by accident that like, as soon as that movie comes out and he's like highly criticized for making it in the way that he's kind of doing this voyeuristic look at poverty Mm -hmm. outside of the United States there is something that happens post 2007 where he only gets like stuck like West does in these like fantastical worlds of the 20th century specifically. And he kind of sticks to this formula of crafting the most bizarre retellings of modern history, which are obviously a ton of fun and really interesting. But I think that that choice was probably out of like artistic and commercial survival. Like that's just Mm -hmm. pure, just me guessing Mm -hmm. basically because I feel like we've, taken so much time to study the Wes Anderson project yeah, because we've done so many Wes episodes this year. But like, if you look post Fantastic Mr. Fox, he has Moonrise, Grand Budapest, French Dispatch, Asteroid City, and then something a little bit retro retro and kind of futuristic with Isle of Dogs. And none of those films are grounded in any kind of contemporary atmosphere or environment, yeah. like A Bottle Rocket or Rushmore or Tenenbaums. Yeah. Life Aquatic, and then obviously Darjeeling. So that's something I've observed in like studying Wes, for lack of a better word, and just like looking at why he's making certain choices post Fantastic Mr. Fox. So I just think this movie specifically is interesting because he's using animals to tell political and social messages. Mm -hmm. And that is a a little bit more of a convenient choice. I I think it's super successful. It's one of my favorite Wes movies and one of the best animated films I've ever seen. But it is an interesting kind of pivot for him to be like, okay, this worked. People weren't angry about it and they were, criti- the critics liked it too. I'm going to stick to these kind of like po- like pre 2000 stories. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably, again, a commercially convenient decision. Well,
2: we're seeing that a lot in, in other like popular and famous filmmakers. Tarantino right? like,
1: comes to mind. Yeah. Like yeah. really
2: uh, just operating in the past because it is safer.
1: Yeah, totally. It is like a really safe choice. and I think a lot of filmmakers who didn't grow up with the internet, feel uncomfortable about making movies Hmm. in the internet age. Okay. It's just harder script wise. And so like you have have a lot more responsibilities, a lot more generations to represent. It's just a little bit more difficult. Yeah. So, but I
2: think like something like theater camp is a really good example of the, you know, it focuses on a camp and it is talking about Gen Z, like in a very heightened, absurd, like comedic way. Uh, But it, the characters don't have phones. Like they made a decision for sure. phones not to be involved and it didn't feel outside of the the world of like 2023. I never thought time. about that.
1: We never do see, I guess we see characters text once in a while, but we don't really yeah. see zoom-ins on I a think text message. when I
2: talked to the director, Nick Lieberman on that episode, I think he mentioned that because I was uh, explaining to him like as teachers, it was just interesting to see Gen Z accurately, even obviously in a heightened way, like reflected yeah. um, in a way that wasn't making like a character like a writer making a character who is supposed to represent Gen Z but it feels like they've never really like talked to a kid yeah, <laughs> today so totally. um but yeah so that that is really interesting to see that trend um, yeah. What else did you want to talk about Wes a little bit more before we jump into fantastic? Mr. Yeah. Fox? I
1: guess I want to talk a little bit about like our criticisms against him, like politically and socially kind of being ambiguous sometimes or apolitical. Yeah. But I, before I even do that, I do want to touch on probably the more popular criticisms of Wes at this time in 2009. I just want to go back. Okay. Like however many years that is like 15 ish years, because the most popular criticism of Wes at the time was that he was completely style over st- substance. Okay. And I still think that style over substance kind of idea is around today. It lingers around him because of how highly stylized his films are. Um, and in him kind of sometimes emotionally distancing people, the audience and critics alike. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's always been pretty terrible criticism because
2: yeah, I, I totally disagree with that. It just
1: sounds like critics are trying to like not connect to the artifice comment, like this kind of artificial way that he makes movies. And I think there's like a meaningful message in that. And we've talked a lot about that on this show. Uh, a lot of his characters are like so emotionally literate, and and he is so obviously fascinated by the psychology of broken people, specifically men and like white men in the middle class. Like, uh, and that has like its own pitfalls for Wes only sticking with that identity and only that kind of like message. But it is fascinating the way that people have criticized his movies about being how distant they are, because his movies a lot of times are just like about destroyed families, yeah, and how destroyed families can lead to like. The destruction of civilization (laughs) in a more loftier project, like a Grand Budapest or something. So I think he's so such a successful character study, heavy filmmaker who, of course, has like highly stylized movies, but he really cares about the characters on screen. And I think he also projects a lot of his own experiences with him and his friends on those characters. So -hmm. I think there's something, you know, admirable about that. And so I, and of course, like we've said about his style, I find his style you know, as an existential person myself, like all of us, I'm sure our (laughs) listeners listening to this, like, I'm sure you have moments of existentialism where you've gotten this
2: far. Yeah. (laughs) You can't not be existential.
1: Agreed. Uh, and I think his style often is like something you, it seems he is finding safety and security behind his symmetry. And that's something we've, you know, talked a lot about on the show about that. Um, so I think all that cynicism is pretty weak was my point. And I, I really think My personal biggest allergy, and I think yours too, when we talked about this on the draft, to his work is his like optimistic worldview that that human beings are all foreigners to one another and we can find a common ground in our differences. And it's not that like I don't share those beliefs, but sometimes they can be so centrist and apolitical in his films. And sometimes I feel like he's only focusing on, not even sometimes, I would say most of the time, a singular human experience, which happens to be like very much hours which is this kind of like middle class white very privileged uh depressive state of living in suburbia Mm -hmm. and being stuck somewhere and kind of virtue signaling white liberal audiences that he's speaking to and those are the characters he knows best which is to a certain extent perfectly fine just writing about what you know, identity speaks to you the most. Um but yeah, it especially does-
2: since he's not like uplifting his characters by any means. Right.
1: They're usually criticisms of like a lot of the characters and the, yeah. the decisions they're making. Um
2: but there is like something that is that at the end it feels like optimistic about yeah. uh humans like loving each other or something, right? Like that yeah. is something that is uh similar to what we talked about with Spielberg. It's like not that we dislike west or or spielberg but there is something that feels a little too like optimistic for my personal taste um at the end of spielberg movies especially i think west is a little bit better like i actually when we talk about the end of this movie um Mm -hmm. with fantastic mr fox i first read it as this like uplifting uh ending and i actually think like maybe there's a little bit Uh, something something, sour yeah something right like at at the core with that that, and i do think that's true in a lot of his other movies too like right even with like royal tenenbaums there are all these really strange um like satirical moments with the characters especially Mm -hmm. like everyone loves to point to you know ben stiller's character who has a lot of hilarious (laughs) moments but there's also some really like uh, kind of darker undertones going on, like where he's playing with the tones of of the characters yeah. Um, with Luke Wilson's character specifically.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, I guess all of his films do kind of, when they are having this more optimistic, happy ending, there is something, you know, a little bit dark as, yeah. as an undercurrent through that. And I think Fantastic Mr. Fox, as an adult, watching it as an adult, I definitely think I've gone through the similar journey of realizing the end of the movie is something a little bit more a little bit more sad um, than I remember as a, as a younger person watching this and being like, oh, an upbeat ending. And, and so I think mm-hmm. our relationship to Back, Gerwig, Wes Anderson, yeah. this group that has, has made these very eclectic, highly like introspective, kind of depressing films
2: <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs>
1: about a middle-class uh, lost white person, whether or not we keep needing those movies, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> um, but they are very successful at that specific um, I guess, trope in storytelling at yeah. this point. But yeah, with Wes, I think my last point with him when it comes to movies like Fantastic Mr. Fox, I do think there's a lot of political and social messaging in this movie that I don't think critics really ever take seriously. And I think the reason for that is because they just view his work as so auteur-driven and technically impressive and his nested stories so hypnotizing mm-hmm. that they don't really view the social messaging or political messaging in them as, uh, as legitimate. Um, but if you do actually kind of read the text, um, there, there, there is fascinating subtext in the movie, but the text, if you t- treat it too seriously, it, you do start to realize Wes seems like a kind of naive political person. Mm. Um, at least that's how I read his movies where I have a great, it's almost like how he talked about doll, except this is not a doll figure at all. Wes is not like a problematic figure, but I think it is interesting how Wes was like, you can separate the art from the artist. And that's kind of my relationship to him too, which is like, he is making incredible films like a moonrise, like in asteroid city, like fantastic Mr. Fox or Rushmore. But then I have like really complicated feelings about the social or political messages in them. Sometimes, you know, depending on the movie, it's circumstantial. Yeah. Um, Yeah,
2: it's also circumstantial with, like, the the scenes, too. Like, sometimes there are things where he is maybe touching on, like, a deeper um, or more complicated subject within the story and within the, like, political kind of um, situations that the characters are living within. But he, like, does the fast-forward dialogue thing. And so it's like, it feels like, okay, was this a part of the movie that you really wanted to incorporate was this just like kind of a, a virtue a virtue signal kind of like aspect of yes, the movie? Yeah. And so that is, is kind of lost on me, especially like we talked about this with French Dispatch too. Um, but I think maybe the my student revolution. Yes, yeah, yeah. and I think though uh, we kind of found this in our draft too. Like the ones that uh, the movies that fault more towards the top of my ranking are the ones that I feel like are kind of the the least like complicated in terms complicated. of yeah
1: yeah I yeah. agree. Totally. I think that's kind of been our whole, (laughs) if you look at all the directors we've talked about when we rank their movies or we're talking about their filmography in general, we're like, which one is like the most, has the most specific vision that is like not complicating itself with contradictory messages. Yeah. And those are our favorite films. Yeah. Um, Okay. Should we get into the fantastic Mr. Fox I'm and why we love this movie? Yeah.
0: Let's do it.
2: What is a squab?
0: You know what a squab is. It's like a pigeon, I suppose. Should we go through the hole under the horse fence or climb the rail over the bridle path?
2: Well, I guess the horse fence would be a little safer. Oh,
0: well, but the bridle path puts us right out next to the squab shack. <sighs> oh, okay. What's wrong? You're acting all skittish. Don't worry, I've been stealing birds for a living since before I could trot. By the way, you look unbelievably beautiful tonight. You're practically glowing. Maybe it's the lighting. I've been in this town so long back in the city I've been
1: So again, easily one of the best animated movies ever made. Mm -hmm. Ton of fun. One of the coolest trailers that I can remember for an animated film too. I don't remember
2: the trailer for this. Really
1: stands out. I watched it before we started the pod because we like to plug them in here.
2: Well, it was 2009. Do they still have the like
1: voice of like
2: in a world? No,
1: no. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be funny for a West movie. Something tells me he would have a panic attack if he heard (laughs) one of those voices in his movies. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, Wes Anderson was, like we said, obviously inspired by Roald Dahl stories, but in working up to this movie, he wanted to do something different with animation. He didn't want to do the traditional animated film. He'd already played with stop motion in some of his other movies. I think it was Steve Zizu, famously, where he did some real kind of shoddy stop motion, but it was still pretty funny oh, yeah. to see him be like that. Yeah,
2: I think it was with the, like, creatures, right, underwater.
1: Yeah, I think Henry Selleck came and worked with him, who's, like, a famous stop motion animator, and uh, worked with Wes again on Fantastic Mr. Fox at the beginning of the production. He wasn't the head of animation on this film. We'll talk about who it was later. But he did work with Wes in trying to find the right inspirations for Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. And he took some inspirations from, like, medieval European folklore, where... Okay. The fox was a symbol in storytelling for children as like a thief or a trickster, because I guess like foxes. Hi. Hello there. Sorry for interrupting.
2: (laughs) Yeah, thank you for listening so far, and hopefully you are enjoying (laughs) the episode so far. I feel like maybe if you made it this far. They
1: got it this far. They're having a good time. I
2: mean, let's hope. But to access our full conversation, you can go to the description of this episode to join our Patreon community, The Extra Credits Plus.
1: Yes, and for only $5 a month, you can get access to our full catalog of Patreon-exclusive episodes. Hope to see you there.